Hi, this is Brent Weeks, author of the Lightbringer series. Welcome to the Legendarium. The reflexive answer is, no, the ends don't justify the means. Well, I think we need to have a talk about that <laughs> at some point. It'll be a riot of nuance once we get really get going with this story, I'm sure. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium podcast. I have no idea which episode this is. We're recording so far ahead on this one that I just I don't have any idea. But I do know that we're discussing The Blinding Knife, book two of the Lightbringer series by Brent Weeks. If you're not caught up with the series up to this point, then proceed with caution because we are going to be spoiling things liberally. I'd also like to remind you that The Legendarium is available on your favorite podcast player, but if you're looking for older episodes that are on that feed, you can find them grouped by subject at thelegendariumpodcast.com. If you enjoy what we do here, please consider supporting us on Patreon, and of course, tell your friends and leave a review. I'm your host, Craig Hanks, and with me today, well, if he were a color, he'd be brown, because, well, you know, it's Ryan Bruckman. Yeah, but that's not, you can't draft me. You can just get rid of me. <laughs> that's, so you got the joke. Yeah. I, oh, okay, all right, all right. Jokes are funnier when you explain them, Craig. That's, uh, that right. at least triples their, their comedy value. <laughs> and one of these days, I'm going to fling her from a trebuchet into the side of a city wall. It's Stephanie Bruckman. I knew your true feelings would come out one day. One day. Uh, all right, well, welcome everybody to the light bringer continuation this is the first of two episodes on the blinding knife this is book two we are reading as i said chapters one oh did i say chapters one through 72 so <laughs> that's where we're spoiling to uh if you haven't read up to that point then stop now or we're gonna spoil everything up to that point uh so if you are curious what's happened we've got gavin dealing with the loss of blue from his drafting arsenal he does still manage to kill a sea monster of some kind in spectacular sea a sea demon in spectacular fashion uh, and he and Karis head to a new island called Sears, Sears Island, island. Not, not Kmart Island it's not Target Island it's Sears <laughs> Island um, where he meets the third eye and they are preparing for the arrival of the the refugees from yeah. Gar uh, Garrison. Garrison yep uh, now Kip is training to be a blackguard back in the Chromaria and that's a lot of fun He's also learning Nine Kings, and he's playing that with Andros Guile, and uh, he, the stakes are always very, very high. And he finally wins a game right when it counts, and he wins Tia, who is a slave, and now and he is... And his partner in the black card. And his partner in the black card, and he's now her And owner. his crush. Right. It's, it's a whole sitch. Okay. Uh, Dazen has busted now out of his green prison, but... Up to this point, he hasn't even left it yet. He like blew a hole in it, but mm -hmm. now he's... He's building up so that he has enough energy to break out of the next right. one. And now he's like, right. he's like, you're not going to get me with that a second time. So he's being careful now, trying mm -hmm. to leave the green prison. So we'll see where that goes. Uh, and Liv. Liv is traveling with the color prince, and he is seducing her with his not lies and flattery. And... Uh, and she, at the last thing that we see, they're attacking a city called Idos, and he is asking her, he says, this is your last chance. Turn back now or join me forever. 
those are your choices and he's he says if you leave that's fine you leave i'll give you a horse you're out of here but if you if you're with me you're with me and she does she stays with him much to the consternation of everybody on discord so a couple Mm -hmm. hours ago i i threw out you know what do you guys want us to talk about on discord and that was the heavy favorite we need to talk about Liv Danavis's decision to stay with the color prince we have a lot to talk about under false pretense of her own devising ah is it yes yeah okay well we will get there i want to <laughs> i do want to save this one a little bit because like i said that is the last thing that we read uh, but maybe we back up a little bit um and first of all i do want to cop to getting something wrong <laughs> boy oh boy was my prediction wrong about why gavin has lost blue and stephanie was correct however i'm just gonna go ahead and throw out there that you had already finished book two at that point so your prediction didn't count <laughs> i still predicted that before i started book two though and you gave me another prediction right, but just when the, the other day but when the historians go back and you know recreate the experience of the legendary panelists <laughs> it, you know it, it'll be it'll be hard to determine the truth of that but the prediction i gave you last time was at the end of book two though so and I don't remember what it was. Well, don't tell me. It was obviously me. very important. Yeah. So anyway, uh, yes, it was. That was correct. My prediction last time. I guess for us, it's been a little while, but maybe somebody's just listened to it. But my prediction was that it had something to do with the color prisons underneath the Cremaria. Look, frankly, I don't think that was crazy. <laughs> I think that was a pretty good guess. You want me to really throw a wrench into it? Oh, jeez. You might not be wrong. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well. Dang You're it. still only halfway through book two, so That's give your true, prediction some time. <laughs> from what we've seen, so there is a scene in which Kip is fending off or trying to fend off two assassins who have just murdered whatever the name of the woman is that he was buying or getting Janice from. Borig. What's that? Janice Borig. Janice Borig. Uh, and she, so she dies. I mean, as far as we know, if this is a comic book, then there's no brain matter. Um, but she had a rather, I mean, yes. She did have a death scene. So, there was a yeah. good, there was a pretty solid death scene and yeah. he got something from her to, to carry forward. Right. He's he's leveled up thanks to <laughs> Janice Borig. Uh, but anyway, he attacks these two assassins and he has the white knife with him, the white Luxon knife. And when he stabs the guy, he falls down. Oh no, I've been stabbed. But then he gets back up a minute later, but then it turns out he's lost the ability to draft green. And the green gemstone in the hilt of the dagger is now glowing uh, or at least colored. I, I don't know if yeah. the other ones are just drained of color, uh, but the green one is now green. And, and so, and the blue one is blue, blue, you know, from its contact with Gavin, as far as we know. And the assassin, when he gets, when he tries to draft green makes, uh, who did he calls out to, he calls out to someone. Oh, the it starts with an A, the the goddess of green, basically. Yeah. Right. So that if nothing else, you get this cue that this this secret group of people who have invisibility cloaks, a la Harry Potter style stuff. Yes. Uh, that they they are part of a religious sect that is adhering to the color gods, which is also very similar to what we're seeing with the color prince. Um, with Lord Rainbow or whatever it is you called him. <laughs> Lord Omnichrome. Lord Omnichrome. That was his name in the last yeah. book, okay? But Jeez. So it's it's something that's out there for us to be aware of that we're dealing with 
uh, those who adhere to the old gods and those who adhere to the Chromeria, right. which is kind of, I mean, not new gods, but a, a It's a different, new system. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, it, it is kind of new gods, right? Or Holum wasn't part of the old system, right? So he is, this, this would be like the pagans versus the Christians, right? Yes. I don't remember offhand if Orhalem is part of theirs as well. Um, and these are just sub-gods to Orhalem. Right. Um, or not. I can't remember that just off the top of my head. Because uh, they are, they still believe in the old gods, I guess, because they're part of like the thrashing and everything that Yeah, there's, it's still a part, of the, a part of their culture, but they, they aren't seeking to bring them back. Yeah. Whereas this group is. Do you, how have you felt at this point with this, uh, this dichotomy between the two is, is it an interesting conflict to you or does it seem irrelevant? Like, you know, I, are you getting anything out of this or is it reminding you of anything in real life? Or is this like, uh, yeah, the, the Norse gods and the Greek gods, that was too long ago. This doesn't like, this doesn't ring uh, true to me or to my experience. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, what, what do you think? Oh, I mean, if you were to put it in similar to what you said, imagine all of a sudden if someone said, "No, we we uh, we adhere to the Greek gods or the Roman gods or whatever," and you know we're going to bring back Zeus or we're going to bring back Hera or whatever, and they do, and all of a sudden you're dealing with that like, okay, now I got to deal with, you know, my the the Christian god or the you know or whichever god you pray to or whatever it is, and now this one, which has been, you know, you, you felt pretty well debunked in after thousands of years or whatever. <laughs> You know, I think it's it, to me it's very interesting, and it provides a uh, an interesting comparison ground when you are listening to, especially the color prints you know, that they spent. So often we get bad guys are bad and good guys are good, but in this st series especially, the bad guys make a lot of good arguments, right? And this. Uh, well, and, and at this point, I'm sorry, but at this point in the story, my question is, are they the bad guys? They're certainly mm -hmm. the antagonists. True. You know, but this this would go, you know, if you want to go back and read the uh, JV Last article from 2002 about the case for the Empire, mm -hmm. you know, this that, that sort of thing where it's like, look, there are arguments to be made for, at, again, at this point in the story, you know, uh, woman flinging aside... <laughs> <laughs> There, there are arguments to be made for why this is, you know, they're they're on the right side of history, if we can use that tired old cliche. Yeah, and that's the the arguments, the the old gods and everything that they're arguing now, you know, getting rid of, you know, I was just listening through um, the color prints talking about a, you know, uh, we're going we're gonna to get rid of a world where there's no slaves, men are free and men are, you know, it's not based on... Everything, but you know, a lot of what we in Western yeah, yeah. societies go, this is this is the ideal culture. This right. here, you know, we're looking at a bad guy or a an antagonist here who's who's doing what we would want yes. them to do. And these old gods are part of that. And to me, that's why it's still interesting, is because all of a sudden we're saying things that are kind of going contrary to our our own feelings of where we're you know whether you're uh, whether you're Christian or Muslim or anything where you have a different set of beliefs than a polytheistic whatever ancient like, ancient polytheistic religion yeah. right this that goes contrary to your to natural inclination to say okay that's not that's not how i normally think you know yes it's a fantasy world i get that but it's still going to trigger something in you that goes that's not that's not right. what i believe yeah so it's kind of it's it's almost 
set up to confuse your emotions, right? Yeah. Where it's not so simple to see, uh, to identify with one side or the other. Which is, uh, I think, a masterstroke by Brent Weeks and also very, very irritating. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. So, Stephanie, I wanted to ask you how you feel about prophecy in books. Okay, so... Gavin has gone to Sears Island. Okay. Um, because he heard there was a massive sale going on. It's Memorial Day weekend, <laughs> and I promise that's the last time I'll make that joke. So he goes to Sears Island. He meets the Third Eye, and she's uh, she she's a fun character, and she's weird at first. She's like <laughs> weirdly super sexy, but then like off putting at the she's, same time. She's a great character. <laughs> Uh, well, I'm surprised to hear you say that because we do hear an awful lot about her nipples. We so. do. And then you get into the rest of the book and she's a great character. Okay. So, so I, I, But I want to ask you about prophecy. There's a, a point she's saying, you know, all this stuff is foretold. I knew you'd be here. She, she can see that he has lost blue. Uh, she knows where he needs to go to find the, what was it called? The blue, the blue bane, bane. the blue bane. Um, like three miles north, and right? Or three, mile. three? It's like four three hours, hours, four hours yeah. east, and two hours north. Um, and uh, anyway, so she has all this information, and I just wanted to get your take on prophecies in stories, <laughs> and whether you are down with this or whether it annoys you. Uh, how how you feel about this? I think as a as a reader, it can definitely be frustrating because it's usually the prophecies, then they give you these tidbits of information that of course then you have to figure out on your own like listening to gavin converse with her and how frustrating he was i think is kind of how i felt as a as a reader going can you just give a straight answer but i think out how, frust of, how frustrated gavin was yes. with her okay um but i think from and i can't really think of any books right now that have this kind of character in them but I think she actually gives more information than most. Like she is trying to be helpful. She's doing it very vaguely because I think that's part of the the balancing act of putting prophecy in any kind of story mm -hmm. is, well, if you're just going to tell everyone what's going to happen, then why do we have to find out what's going to happen? Because right. we were just told what was going to happen. And it kind of takes that free agency of your characters away. But at the same time, it's kind of fun knowing that he has the ability to know what's happening and she's trying to help him as much as she can. And then again, trying, there's that whole um, conversation he has with himself as to whether she's telling the truth and whether she is being helpful or not. And he's just blindly following her, her advice, I guess. Right. But, it's I guess prophecy for me it's a bit like time travel where I do not hate time travel the way that Ken does. Ken <laughs> has an allergic reaction and breaks out in hives every time he thinks about time travel. Uh, but I, I you know I think it's fine sometimes. It can be used poorly or uh, you know incorrectly or whatever and you can you can really abuse a storytelling method like that, right? And prophecy is the same way. At this point up to chapter 72, I'm fine with it. But as soon as the prophecies started coming in, you know, my, my ears kind of whoop, perked up and uh, I'm like, oh, okay, prophecy. It's one of those authorial minefields and let's see how Brent Weeks navigates this. So I'm kind of keeping my eye out. And I like, because she's not a a main character. I mean, she is someone that's going to come back into the book mm -hmm. and you're going to find out more about her. 
um, as and I don't know how much she gets into book three and four with the the people of Garriston living on their island and everything, but she does appear again. He goes back to the island um, in later on in book two, and I think if she was constantly there, then that would be frustrating and annoying and an overuse of of the idea and the concept. But for how little she's been in the book, I think it just gives. It gives good answers to otherwise where Gavin would get information from. Right. There's so. a slight difference in the way that Weeks handles the seer, uh, the third eye, and prophecy in this that I think is what makes it work without putting too hard of a, a hand on something. Is that a lot of times with prophecy, it's this is what is going to happen. Whereas with the seer, she sees what the results are of a choice of different actions and, and so she knows that if she says certain things or does certain things this is what will happen if i do that and then she makes the choice to decide whether or not that's the path she wants to kind of push things on which allows you to have agency because it's not this is going to happen it's this could be the case if you make this choice oh it's dr strange with the time stone that's what i was thinking i was like i was thinking <laughs> of someone who was i thinking of but I think that's why we're able to use this character as a as a help for Gavin to say, you're going to need to go like giving him the directions as to where you'll find the blue bane. It's it's cryptic. It's slightly you know annoying to him to have to figure it out rather than just be told. But the fact is is the future is changeable. It's not a set in stone piece. But if you make the right choice in the right moment, you can see that path ahead of you, and know that it's an you know, like that's okay. Like that's That to me is the difference between saying, you will find the blue bane and you will destroy it in the Cerulean Sea <laughs> versus saying, oh yeah, you're going to go here and here and you'll find the blue bane. And it's okay. And and at that point, he didn't know what the blue bane was, right? right. Nobody, nobody knew what it was. It was just, there's something out there and you got to kill it. Yep. Okay. Uh, all right. So let's move off of that I do want to talk about Karis very briefly and just bring out one little line that I pulled out, uh, and that's when they are talking with uh, the third eye, and she calls Karis. Let's see. Let me pull up the quote here. Let's see. So, Try anything, Karis says, and I'll hollow out your skull. The white blackguard. We were told you'd be forceful, and that jumped out to me. The white blackguard. Not just because of her, but because we just read a book called The Black Prism. And it made me wonder if, you know, Karis and Gavin being set up as white and black, if, if that's if that's a thing. If that's a little clue, the point <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out why it's called the black prism, okay? Uh so anyway, that jumped out to me. I'm I guess I don't have anything else to say about it at this point, but I am uh, I am filing that one away mentally to bring out at a later time. Ryan, and Ryan Smirk is telling me that I am correct to do so. <laughs> I think I just thought it was interesting because I, I was listening uh, today through work and everything. I went back and I was re-listening to this section, trying to get as far as I could to just get an even fresher right. get uh, your footing. take on that. And that actually stood out to me this time as well. I went, oh, hello. That's a really strong, that's a really strong name Image. Uh, to throw in there. Yeah. On that, so it stood out to me too uh, this time. I don't think it stood out to me previously, but it stood out to me on this last go around. Um, but speaking also of Kadas, uh, I, especially in this book, I love 
the dynamic between Gavin and Karis in this book, especially at the beginning. Okay, how come? They're... Because she knows, but he doesn't know that she knows. <laughs> yes, because at the end of the last book, she slapped him and said, I know your big secret, but didn't tell him what the secret was. And he's got so many secrets, he's like, um, <laughs> that's not helpful. By the way, if you can't relate with that feeling, then you're a terrible liar. And I can confirm I am a great liar. <laughs> I know this feeling so well. Uh, and she makes this, she does this whole ordeal that I rang very true to me because I've had the conversation or whatever. You know, he goes to apologize and she's like, if you can't tell me what you're apologizing for, then it's not a real apology. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I've heard that one before. Um, From I don't know what you're talking yeah. about. Like, <laughs> But the fact is, they're, for a couple that has been together so long, that has been through some terrible, like some really difficult times, you still root, you kind of root for them still to to work out. But they're so it's almost comedic how how their relationship doesn't immediately work together. There's this whole scene where uh, Gavin gets uh, he's about to fall off the boat or something and she catches him by the belt and then it falls over and they roll on top of each other. And he's like, I should just kiss her right now and, you know, have be, be done with it and everything. And, and uh, she's like, get off me. Yeah, she's get <laughs> off me. I that relationship, the the two of them building this conflict and this frustration of I love you, I know who you are. There's, there's a constant conflict between the two of them, but it's not it's not to the point where it's frustrating, like, oh, just talk it out, you No, guys. it reminds me of sitcoms a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, it, not necessarily in the style, <laughs> but <laughs> in the structure, you know, you think We of, were on a break! Yeah, exactly, you think of Ross and Rachel as the classic example, or, uh, you know, Cheers would be a good one. New Girl is an, an example of this where you just, you know that they've got to end up together at some point. But mm -hmm. the writers of these shows, and in this case, Brent Weeks know, knows that if you do it too early, then you remove a, a crucial source of tension. Mm -hmm. And that's why season two of New Girl sucks donkey balls. <laughs> it is terrible uh, because they removed a major source of tension. And so anyway, uh, it's it's a good good timing for him to be doing that, right? So let's move on, or I should say move off of Sears Island and go to the Cromeria. We've got a lot to talk about there. And, well, hang on, hang on, hang on. Do we want to go there or do we talk about the Blue Bane first? Is there anything to talk about there other than there was the there was a new god being resurrected and Gavin killed it? And that's all we know up to this point, as far as I can tell. The... It was a great action scene. Ken would want to talk about it a lot. Um, it is. Was good it action. really? It was. I thought it was. It's highly good. tense because you realize that if this god wakes up, we're now dealing with a god um, type thing. And so there's he, also some good imagery when Gavin falls down and he's like he's kind of stunned and he's laying next to this. I think it's like crystals or something, mm -hmm. and he looks into the crystal with one of these blue whites, and it. Opens up its <laughs> eyes and looks right at him, you know, inches away from his face, and you know, it's little things like that. Like, it's, it's good writing. It's very similar to the tension you get anytime you see like a zombie horde coming, closing in on one character, and you're like, oh no, that's that's not a good thing, right? I like that. Um, the only other thing about the blue bane, I think that's interesting and worthwhile to point out, is the timing of its appearance with the loss of blue, with Gavin's loss of blue. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
that and I noticed that, but I don't know what to do with it at all. <laughs> that for right now, let's just leave that there. But the the fact is, you remember when they talk about what a, what a prism's duty is? Their job, one of the things that they do every Sunday, is go and balance the colors in the world because they can get out of whack. Um, too much blue, too much red, or whatever. Well, now obviously Gavin can't do that, and we're getting the we're getting a creature who is literally their ability is the control of that color. So we have a prism who's lost the ability; he can't balance the world anymore, and a god who controls that color. Right. Uh, it's that's stuff from that shadowing, but that's <laughs> setting setting a tone. Okay. Well, and now we have to assume that the next one would be a green white, just. Because green seems to be the next color that's coming up. That's the next prison that Dazen was dropped into. It was the color that uh, Kip encountered uh, with the assassins that we already mm -hmm. talked about, right? Okay, so now let's go to the Chromaria and talk about Kip and uh, and Iron Fist and Tia and whoever else there in the Chromaria. Lady Lucretia Larenghetti. Why? What is that? <laughs> there, not that's all Tia's owner. Oh, okay. Yeah, not not all of the naming is perfectly done, <laughs> but rarely oh, is that the just case. wait. There are so many small characters that come in and out of this book. Then I was like, and who are they again? Yeah, and my, you know they're important and they're gonna come back. But my least favorite, but it's like the best worst name is still to come. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you want to? <laughs> are you gonna spoil it, or do you want me to try to guess what it is later? No, you can. You'll know it when you see it, probably. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be like, really, Brent? That's we're going with that, okay? You named a character Crap Bag. <laughs> okay, so I, all like, right. I think Stephanie knows who it is. Yep. So, so there, we've got the Blackguard training now. Something that I'm not a hundred percent clear on, and I'm just not sure if it's still coming or if I missed something. Was uh, at the was at the beginning of this book when they're on the ship and Gavin. Uh, has a conversation with Iron Fist mm -hmm. and says, uh, you know, you have to take Kip and he's going to be part of the Black Guard. And, but it's it's a staged conversation, mm -hmm. right? They want Kip to be, uh, to overhear what they're saying. And so it's all part of some kind of master plan. And at some point, Kip is there and he's like, oh, I'm only here because, I, uh, because I've been assigned to be and because my powerful dad has made this happen. And then his... And then Andros Guile, his grandfather, uh -huh. yes, grandfather, grandfather, is he gets his credentials revoked essentially, and so now mm -hmm. it's like, all right, you're on your own. Your powerful father can't protect you because you're no longer a Guile officially, right? You've right. been renounced, um, and so now he has to uh, prove his own mettle. And it, so is that if he if he could, if he fails out, he fails out now versus right. Gavin's original. Was like, like keep him in regardless. You have to make him a black guard. Now, if he fails, he fails. Like the safety net is gone. And so my question is, like, did he was he just anticipating Andros Guile doing that, and he's he's trying to build up Kip's defiance and confidence in himself, or is there some masterstroke still to come with why they had this conversation? I I guess I'm not asking you to spoil it. I'm just uh, wondering for the future. No, I think the. In that conversation, because right after he has the conversation that uh, Kip can hear, he then goes and has a conversation with Iron Fist that's, that he can't hear. And in that moment, I think he explains why he's doing it this way. 
and it's the sense that I need that he needs Kip to uh, knowing that that's going to set him aside from everyone else. He needs Kip to not be dependent upon other, like everyone else because he's grooming him to be the next prism. Right, and that's what he said. You know, uh, that's what he says he's going to do. And so it's one of those things similar to Ender Wigan and Ender's Game, where he can't be, he, he can't have friends. Yeah, he cannot have those things because it will hinder his ability to be what I need him to be. Okay. And I think that's all there really is to that one. And Andros Kyle just happens to make it even worse. Just accelerate by the doing process. That. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, should we talk about Andros Kyle as long as we're talking about Kip and the Cromeria and all that? There was some comment uh, in our last episode or maybe two episodes ago when I asked for comments from people on Discord and they said things like, how much do you hate Andros Kyle? Well, <laughs> we hadn't really met him much up to that point, just once or twice. Uh, but now we've had quite a bit of Andros Kyle. And Stephanie, thoughts? I can't stand the man. And he's he's one of those... I, I tend to enjoy a lot of that, like, rich people taking advantage of poor people kind of stories, which I think is kind of sad and morbid. It's the of struggle me. of the proletariat. Um, but I've, I've read a lot of that, that those kind of books. I watch a lot of those TV series or whatever, where you always have the rich people that take advantage because they're rich. What was that series? The, on CW? It's called all of them. I was like, well, I had Blake Lively. And <laughs> oh, Gossip, Gossip Girl. Girl. Gossip Girl. Yeah. Yeah. That one like that. was a terrible, like, but that did you kind know it's of... coming back? There's a sequel to Gossip Girl coming? No, oh, I did not. It's I happening. I have no desire. <laughs> it's a thing. It's it's coming. We don't care that rich people have that. Like, uh, whatever. Moving on. Continue. Hey, I want to be one of them, okay? So why I don't would you just lay, one of those just rich lay people, off rich people for a minute? But... And I think that it played a lot into my feelings for that. Like, I think he's a really interesting character. And I'm still waiting to find out what's motivating him to make all of these decisions. Like, is he really just hates Gavin that much that he's like, I'm going to destroy your son because you like him? Like, is that what's going on? Is there more to it as to why he's... Well, I think there's mention at a certain point in the story that he, this is just his mode. He's been scheming so long he can't turn it off. Well, and he's a red, which I think is kind of a trait mm -hmm. of a red. Um, and so it's part of who he is, and I understand that. But there's so much... His story arc gets so much bigger and I'm, I've yet to really see his true motivation for what his plans are. And that's what has me like, I, I enjoy reading about him because I want to know what that is, but yes, he's, he's a dirtbag. He's a jerk. He's, he's that type of person that's is I'm wealthy and I can do whatever I want. I, so because I have no consequences. I'm going to throw this out there because I really do think like, we have other characters in this story who are wealthy, who do not act this way. And you take a look in the real world, and it's easy to make villains of wealthy people. Mm -hmm. um, but I would just point out that, you know what? There's a bunch of dicks among poor people, too. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's a thing. And Andros Guile is a giant, giant penis. He <laughs> is, yeah, he's the worst, right? But it's not because he's rich and he thinks he can get away with it. It's because he thinks he can get away with it. Oh, and he's also really rich, right? And that certainly helps his delusions of grandeur. Well, they're not really delusions. And they? the thing is, it's not that he thinks. He knows. He is a, He is so powerful that he can do whatever he wants. And it will be... And he can demand things. And people have come to be so afraid of him that there is, he knows all he has to do is say, this is... say 
I want this, and he gets it. That's why he's able to... It's not like he has special powers at the Chromaria in terms of like, yeah, I paid for this wing or whatever. Like, I'm I'm on the board of directors or whatever. No, he just says, you've lost this. And everyone is so afraid to cross him. That well, and he's so he get, powerful that he doesn't even have to come to his own meetings. Like, no, I, I know can't. everything that's going on, but he chooses not to show up. Well, the thing is that he can't leave that room, right? Like, But he can because he does. Wait, no, As he, he, do- he doesn't. Has, has he done that yet? No. no. Never Stephanie. mind. He can't leave the room. <laughs> Duck on it. Okay. Dang well. it. Sorry. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, this, just we know, Andros, Andros Guile eventually leaves that black room. So. Oh, well. I mean, that's, that <laughs> is Chekhov's black room. So You never know. Sure. But. Um, okay. So he one of the key things that he does at this point in the story is he teaches Kip how to play Nine Kings. Now, Nine Kings sounds like a really, really, really complicated version of tarot poker. It's- this is why I said um, in the last uh, last one to familiarize yourself with Magic the Gathering because that's where uh, the, the inspiration for this came from. Oh, okay. All right. That makes more sense to me. I've never played Magic, as I think I said last time. Mm-hmm. And so even after you said that, that, that didn't sink in and it, I didn't connect it with Magic the Gathering, I... Uh, my wife reads tarot, and so I thought of tarot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anyway, so it's kind of an, a combination of those two. Like, because yeah, I can see how tarot, especially with the ability to uh, see the lives of the people or see the history of the card of the the subject of the card by uh, drafting the color into the different mm-hmm. uh, gems or the markers on it, basically. Yeah. So that makes sense. Anyway, so yeah, we're learning Nine Kings. And it, at first, it's just, oh, you need to learn how to play this card game so you can beat this guy because the stakes keep going up and up. And, uh, you know, it's a big problem. Uh, so learn how to play the game. And somebody directs him. I don't even remember who it was. Directs him to Jim's A librarian. Bar, the librarian. A librarian whose name escapes me at the moment. But... So mysterious, right? Let's go see Janice Borig. And so Kip does. And Janice Borig basically shows him that this game is more than just a game. There are cards and then there are true cards. And these cards have gemstones set into them. And when you touch the gems, <laughs> you're laughing at me, but isn't this right? Yeah, yeah, yeah I, touch, I believe. So you touch the gemstones touch the and gemstones. draft that color and then it takes you into the memory or whatever that's inside the card. In the card, yeah. Yeah, it's all very mystical. Yes. And so we get some interesting flashbacks, memories, whatever. Yeah, the originals do. Originals. Yeah, right. it originals. has to be the originals um, that she has a bunch of. There, there's a great scene. Because she makes them. There's a great scene, I think, where uh, um, he Kip goes to her and, and he says, I need these cards so I can beat Andros Guile. And she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're not <laughs> taking my cards. And he's like, well, not the originals. Just give me the give me some copies and I'll play with those. And she goes, oh. <laughs> she. I, I've actually got it right here. She says, that is... That is the most sensible idea I've heard in a long time. It would allow me to put the blind man's marks on the cards, which would make Lord Guile far more likely to allow, to allow you to use them. Kip, you're brilliant. Um, <laughs> did you ever hear there's the uh, the old story about um, the truck that gets stuck in the underpass? And so it gets wedged in the underpass. And all these engineers and cops and firefighters, they all come and they're trying to figure out how to get the car, get the truck out from the underpass. And, uh, you know, so these are all very smart, experienced people. And then some kid who's stuck in in the traffic jam behind all of this finally leans out the car window and says, 
let the air out of the tires. And, you know, it's the <laughs> simplest solution that, that the smart people kind of miss sometimes because mm-hmm. they're, they're smarter than, you know, they're yeah. too smart for their own good. And so sometimes it takes a, a, an inexperienced idiot to come along <laughs> and show you how it's done. The librarian's name is Rhea Salouz. Uh, Rhea Salouz. It's very, uh, it's like vaguely Middle Eastern. Mm. Okay. Uh, Rhea Salouz. I guess I'll keep track of that. And there is some talk about how mysterious that is. Wait, you t- how did you find her? You know, nobody's nobody's heard from Janice Borg in, in 85 years. How did you find her? Oh, she's a she's a Yoda librarian. She's kind of a nice compliment to the seer because they have similar powers, I guess, and they're very few and far between. It's not like you find these. I don't even know if they're drafters or what their special abilities are. She's amongst. a mirror. Yeah, that's but, what her what she's called. She's a mirror. It's in a, and the title is specific to illustrate the point that. They can only reflect what is, they, not what the will truth. be. Yeah, the truth. Yeah, it's what the is. truth that she puts into her cards. So I just think that that she is a rare, rare power, mm-hmm. I guess. And at that, some point, we're going to have Kip diving into Andros Giles' card, right? This is going to happen. <laughs> this is this is another Chekhov's card that's going to have to be played. Yeah, because he's seen he's he's got Andros Giles' card, and it's like him yeah. twenty or forty years earlier, uh, when he was a more I know he's got the heroic card. figure. Yeah, I don't remember him. I don't remember him going into it. Oh, it's gonna happen, ladies and gentlemen. I'm calling it, it right now. Ryan hasn't even read book five yet, so uh, I still have time mm-hmm. to call it. So it's got it's got to happen, or at least we got to learn about this mysterious past of Andros Giles. That's just makes the most sense for you know i'm doing my predictions throughout i'm peppering them throughout so we're not doing Mm. a predictions section at the end um okay now what else do we want to talk about tia and the slavery issue or do we not quite have enough meat in the story yet to talk about it Uh, because this is something that we'll definitely have to get to at some point um but We've we've already mentioned in previous episodes, and there's a lot of talk in the book about the fact that we have slaves. There are room slaves and and the drafter slaves. Slavery, right? To a certain extent. To a certain extent. And so, do we want to talk about it yet, Ryan? I'll let you be the judge of that. Should we save it or or talk about it? Well, I think uh, up to this point, the conversation that we can have and is the fact that our society of our protagonists is built upon slavery and we have characters who uh we've met who are who are slaves but who serve who serve uh, individual purposes for example because we have t we have tia um she's been marked she was marked as a slave and her ownership is a a major plot line in this at the beginning because kip wins her right um and that's oh man there was quite the scene sorry after andros go on guile bartered with her yeah if that's what you want to call no from her original owner yeah whatever you remember the scene where he gets he sends grim what is it grimwoody to it's not even him it's someone else they don't say who it was what uh, for specific specific sorry remind me remind me they he he sends an assassin kind of for lack of a better term he sends an angry dentist 
Uh, and says and basically tells her that has all the teeth around his uh, like the tooth necklace and everything i remember that and basically now. tells her the more the longer you take to give me these papers the more painful this is going to be as i, I do remember that out. i thought you were talking about tia but it's tia's owner tia's yeah. owner yeah her, that's how andros got yeah gets. that was an awfully disturbing scene wasn't it yes yeah and they don't tell you who that is on purpose um but we have there's other slaves that we've encountered that also they're uh, Mauricia. Gavin's room Gavin's slave. Gavin's room slave. Right. So we've got a couple of them, but they serve a purpose. Like there's more to them than just what we normally think of uh, when, the, in books with slavery or whatever. They're the peasant character that goes and does the tasks, that does the, right. the menial things. These are not those that's, people. And that's because, and I, I feel confident in saying that Brent Weeks is uh, a well-read man and he knows a lot about history and, and different cultures. Um and so we have a tendency, especially in America, but I think largely around the world now, when we think of slavery, slavery, we think of the southern United States in the 19th century and 18th century with chattel slavery and what they did with the African slaves that were brought over, right? Mm, right. And that is a story that is, you know, worthwhile, needs to be told and needs to be dealt with and all that stuff, but it is not the only it's not the only and it's not even the typical type of slavery that you have worldwide historically mm -hmm. you know slavery is as old as agrarian societies essentially maybe older than that um and so if you want maybe a different type of you know a different example you can go to like there's biblical examples um with uh, uh, uh joseph Joseph yeah. is a slave in Egypt, but he's also basically the number two in Egypt at the time, right? So he's right. a slave to, <laughs> is it Pharaoh or Potiphar. Potiphar? Potiphar. Yeah. He starts off as slave to Potiphar. He gets I know, I'm going right. through the musical right now in my head. <laughs> of course you are. Um, anyway, but I guess my point isn't to rehearse the whole Joseph story. It's just to say that there are other types of slavery um, and not all of them were so brutal and uh, dehumanizing as what we think of now when we hear the word slave it's still i, I mean not it, that it's i'm not excusing yes. other <laughs> kinds of slavery but uh, so i hope that my point is taken yes it's still the thing is that at its core it's still the ownership of another human being right. and so we understand that yes um but this one is we're seeing what these people do um and and for example uh tia one of the interesting things about her is that as a slave she becomes a more worthwhile product to the black uh, as a blackguard to her owner because you remember she talks about how um for her she gets her freedom if she becomes a blackguard but the blackguard pays off the owner uh, gives the owner money uh, for buying off the property if she becomes a blackguard as well so the her previous her owner has done this multiple times and trains her you know so train some of her slaves to uh, in the martial arts and in those things so that they can become blackguards and be sold because they're now it's now a different market, right? It's, you're you're a commodity in a different way. Yeah, it's their freedom equals a payday for, for the 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 original owner. Right. So either way, the owner gets rich. Yeah, it's 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 a really uncomfortable uh, topic to try and say anything other than this is bad. No, totally about. But nuance. It's okay to have nuance. Yeah, even about something like this. There's definitely nuance in this, and I think. Uh, Mauricia, the room slave to Gavin. Uh, we haven't dealt with her a ton, 
but her slavery to Gavin, I, uh, her slavery, her situation will be one that I think is worth having another conversation about as we go along. Okay, yeah. And there's been some indication that maybe she's not entirely to be trusted. And there, <laughs> you know, there's conversation with the white who says that, uh, you know, my chief of spies has informed me and Iron Fist thinks that it's Mauricia. Mm-hmm. And the white says, nope, nope, it's not Mauricia, but who knows, maybe it actually is. <laughs> she wouldn't admit to that, perhaps. So I, I think one thing that I've been thinking of um, and this kind of came to me in our last conversation as we were talking about Liv, because um, Tia hadn't been introduced to us yet. And the conversation that we were having about Liv and the tra- path that she's chosen to take, knowing the lifestyle that she was raised with, that she came from, that she was made fun of at the Cromeria and everything. And then what Tia is doing with a similar path in front of her and the choices that she's making i just think i like the two of them reading their two stories kind of side by side and watching the choices that each of them are making with not being given much in the first place but now we have Liv, who's now with the color prince making some really weird decisions i feel like that's a cult following over there that's just what i see (laughs) when i see that you have the charismatic leader that's just bringing in all of these people but um i really like tia and the choices that she's now making as she's trying to figure out her life as a slave inside the black guard, knowing that with some of the downsides that she has of being colorblind and being able to draft a color no one can see. And mm-hmm. so I don't know if there's a... She's our first peril drafter. Yeah, there, she'll, she is fertile ground for a storyteller. Uh, and I'm looking forward to hearing more about her story coming up. I just went over the... Uh, Hers and Kip's first inter first interaction, and it made me laugh. It's oh quite funny. the fight. He's going through trying to get himself placed, um, fighting, and he tries and looks over his person. Oh, you're a girl, and then she proceeds <laughs> yeah, to beat great. the crap out of him and <laughs> doesn't even like stop when the fight's over. She's and then it's like, oh yeah, by the way, you just found your partner. Right. Like, oh, great. Yeah, that is great. Um, I do. I I want to get to live and Lord Omnichrome in just a moment, or whatever he's called now. The color, color prince. prince. Uh, but I just want to say one thing about Kip, who we haven't talked a ton about. We've talked about stuff going on around Kip, but one thing that I just want to mention that I really like, there's a, a little passage, and there are a lot of things like this peppered throughout the story, but in chapter 64, Kip is walking through the rain, and uh, let's see, so here's the passage. He hadn't even thought to draft himself an umbrella on his way back to the Cromeria to stay dry. It simply hadn't occurred to him. He just wasn't mentally fast enough for this. A failure. Stupid, his mother would say. But then he'd not been a drafter for his whole life and only a drafter for a couple of months. Nothing was instinctive yet. He pushed the thought, the worries, his mother's lies away. And I like that Kip is taking... This is a long, slow, and deliberate character arc. Kip is, I hope for the entire series, going to have to deal with this horribly abusive relationship, at least emotionally abusive relationship that he had with his mother. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that that's not simply going away just as soon as he wins a few fights or learns how to draft a few colors or, you know, whatever the case may be. So I'm I'm liking that because that is a very familiar feeling right even if you don't have that sort of awful relationship with a parent some of us do uh, but 
even if it's not that, it's something else that has dinged your confidence and torn you down a little bit, and it's hard to recover from that. And so it's a feeling we can all uh, that we can all sympathize with. Yeah, and there there's a sense of responsibility to that, regardless of the bad relationship. Anyway, that is kind of the way he looks at it. Yeah, because uh, we she uh, reveals to him basically that Gavin raped her is what it is, and he's having to try and deal with like the the command from his mother you need to avenge this you need to kill gavin right. for this and seeing this man who's become a father figure who has shown him incredible uh you know love and patience and everything here despite having never really met him until just recently you know it's yes it's still kind of a a distance love and things like that but it it just really puts do you do you have the responsibility to this abusive parent but who is responsible for you for the you know how you grow up and right. everything here versus this new figure who you know has based on what you've been given here has done something bad but has already always done right by you yes and as far as you can tell as far as you've seen they've they're upstanding and all that it's dealing with the argument i like there there are very few people in 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 my life where they've done something or whatever that is really upset someone I care about or, or things like that, but I still have a relationship with that person. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where it's like, you didn't do it to me, so does that justify my still being a friend to you type thing? But you did do something bad to... Right. Like, it's a it's a hard line to, to, to walk. There are a lot of questions there about, you know, what what does it look like to continue to be a friend without excusing something that someone did? Um, I've got a uh, one of my best friends from a certain point in my life is currently serving a long, long sentence in state prison mm-hmm. uh, for something really, really horrible. Um, and that's a question I've had to ask myself. You know, what what is my relationship now to him? And do I, you know, do I go visit? Do I write? Do I, you know, what would my relationship be when he's out? And you know, so it is a live question. Um, but. We know in this case that Kip only thinks that Gavin did these horrible things. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it was real Gavin, TM, yeah, who's stuck in the green prison. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so that throws another wrinkle into it. And so it's like, oh, Kip, don't don't take your vengeance out on the wrong guy. Yeah, <laughs> we do have a couple of situations here where it's lacking one piece of communicated information would change. Everything. Everything. Boy, echoes of the wheel of time, anyone? Yeah. Oh, talk to each other. <laughs> anyway. Uh, okay, should we move on to the color prints? Sure. <sighs> okay, so this this has been a big one. If I go back to our Discord chat, you know, I asked people, what do you want us to talk about? And uh, there were a couple of suggestions right away. I mean, instantly. I posted, hey, what do you guys want us to talk about? Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> color prints, color prints, live. All that. So this is, like I said, the final thing that we've read in the book. She's been traveling with the color prints for a while. He's been filling her head with um, all of these horrible, horrible, basically true things. But you get this feeling maybe just because of who he is, his position as the antagonist, but you get this feeling that something's a little bit off. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like um, it's like if Emperor Palpatine started extolling the uh, the virtues of uh the, you know freedom of speech 
you're like, oh, suddenly this doesn't sound quite so great. Yeah. You know? I don't like the packaging. I like the product, but I don't like the packaging. <laughs> exactly. And so it's it's a delightfully difficult situation that we as readers are in, not just live. Uh, but how up to this point, halfway through book two, Stephanie, what are you thinking of of Lord Omnichrome or whatever, sorry, Color Prince and Liv and their relationship and, and everything that we're getting with them? I think the one thing that stood out to me most about Liv and her decision to join the color prince in the first place was all of these assumptions she was making about her father is that she's assumed that he's being manipulated and used by Gavin who supposedly was his enemy at one point when in reality if she had communicated well I'm gonna go ahead and call it his (laughs) fault not her fault that he should have told her the truth. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That there should have been some communication somewhere along the way that. But. I, I, but now he's given her the. But what can he communicate? Yeah, that's that's my thing is without he can't, giving. He can't be yeah. like, oh, by the it's way, it's not it's his Jason. secret. It's not his secret to give. I mean, it kind of is because they work together on it. But at the same time, it's like, no, he made a, a solemn promise to a friend not to give up this information. And and so it's like. It's an impossible situation now in the present day, you know, well, whatever. It's an impossible situation for them to navigate because any way you slice it, someone is it has incorrect information, is going to make a wrong <laughs> choice, is going to betray a friend, whatever. You know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah. I'm not saying that there's a, a right answer to this whole situation as to why she joined the Color Prince, but... It it's kind of that thing there. It's just lack of communication. It's making assumptions on other people's decisions that she's now based a major point in her life to not go back to the Cumeria, not to go back to that lifestyle of being the the enemy's daughter or whatever that she felt like she was being abused and and made fun of and everything for what her father had done, even though now he's this great general again and whatnot. But that it's all of those assumptions. He's being, he's being manipulated. So now I'm going to take this stance to prove to my father, but now she won't even talk to her father that's trying to get in con- like contact with her, that she made all of these decisions for him, but now the color prince has convinced her otherwise right and i think i mean it's easy as a a reader to sit back and go everything that he says just sounds too good to be true but i know that there are plenty of people out there that you listen to these charismatic people that say exactly what you want to hear when you're downtrodden and whatnot giving given an ounce of hope yeah of course you're gonna follow that ounce of hope to the ends of the earth to know just to reach that little bit of happiness that you've been lacking. And I think that's all Liv's trying to do. And now she's slowly starting to realize, oh, there's a price for that happiness. Well said. Ryan, what are your thoughts at, at this point? Uh, along the same lines, the... Here, let me let me put it to you this way. Can I read you a quote? Yeah. And I know it's a quote that you underlined, mm-hmm. uh, but it's a quote that I, as soon as I came across it, I texted it to you. And I said, whoa, 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 we've got a lot to talk about. And I know this episode is going to run a little bit long. I'm, I'm sure people will forgive us, um, but there's a lot to unpack here. So mm-hmm. it's in chapter 70 and the color prince and Liv are having a conversation 
And he says to her, are you ready for another truth then, Oliviana? You learn so fast. Very well. Freedom isn't the highest good. Power is. For without power, your freedom can be taken. Go. Discuss. <laughs> it's one of those, I, just off my initial read on that and my initial feelings on that, it's one of those truths, I use that word lightly here a little bit, that you don't you hate the fact that it's that that's that that feels right that that feels that it has a logical right I'm gonna, argument i'm gonna put it another way it's a lie wrapped in a very tight truth so the lie is that power is the highest good okay yes. it, it's okay. it's sort of a lie in the idea that it's a false dichotomy it why does there have to be a highest good right mm -hmm. there can be many highest goods um, and so that is that is the insidious little nugget that he's inserting, but he's wrapping it up in this idea that without power, your freedom can be taken. And that is that is ironclad logic that if you are powerless, by definition, you have no real freedom, right? And so it, this it, does that make sense? Like you wrap it up in something that's incontrovertible. And you can sneak that little thing through. Yes, I, I think that's. I like that idea. I like that that sentiment on that. In terms of, if you can expand the field and say, yeah, power is not the greatest good. There are lots of things that are the greatest good, which I agree with. I agree with. <laughs> In this sense, though, like it to me, this is a, a comparison between you have to make a choice between one of the two here. Live. You can choose your freedom or you can choose power and what? just know that if you choose freedom, quote unquote freedom, that I can take that away from you because I have power. But you, if you stay with me, will have power and can control your own freedom. I think this is another uh, going back to discussions about uh, Tia and Marissa and things that those who are literally living in the slavery of that time, they're, for them, power versus freedom, which one do they want? Tia wants her freedom really bad. Like, this is a big deal to her. I don't know that she would agree with that sentiment, you know, necessarily saying that I have to be so powerful that no one can take this from me again. Right. Um, maybe she would. But in that sense, like, especially between the color prints and live, that's the promise. It's saying, you know, stay with me, take the power so that you can have the freedom. You can have both so long as you choose this one first. If you choose the other one, I can take it away from you. Right. Uh, is there more we want to say on this subject? I feel like we could... I, I saved this for the end deliberately <laughs> so that I wouldn't just go on and on and on about this, uh, but I feel like there's a lot to be said. I, I will say this. I feel like up to this point, um, Liv's as a character feels like the redemption character in the story. She's the one who's going off to the dark side, but who you still have that sliver of belief yeah, that she's going to be re the prodigal son is what you want her. Like, yeah, she's gone off and she's lost her way, but she's going to make it back somehow. When we get to that, that linchpin moment in the end of the book, when the color prince is about to win and all he has to do is just maintain the course and Liv turns and saves everybody by changing. Like that's right. the moment we're all rooting for. When he when she throws him into the exhaust vent. 
in the throne room? Yes. Yeah. Which means knowing Brent Weeks, she's going to throw him she's into the exhaust die. vent and she's going to take that position of the color prince all of a sudden <laughs> and be like, and she's going to get even worse. She's going to become the dark, worst, bad, evil of all of it, <laughs> uh, which will frustrate me so much. But, you know, that's... Okay. I, I, Call that a burning white prediction. <laughs> um, that's and the thing is, like, is up to this in this moment, especially where she's making the decision to go to the dark side. You're like, oh no, don't. Well, we need someone over there. Otherwise, our only point of view character is the color prince, and we don't really enjoy his point of view. No, yeah, we need somebody there. And you know, there were some people on Discord saying that this that her choice feels uh, impossible, or that it was for that reason. Brent Weeks says, oh, "I need I need somebody there, so I'll choose this character, and she's gonna she's gonna listen to his dirty, dirty, filthy lies." Mm -hmm. I don't I don't see it that way at all. I feel like it's a pretty organic situation that she finds herself in, and um, I buy it at this point. I think it's a very natural choice for her to be the one that that follows the color prince. That they kind of set it up that way. Yeah, it's that with some of the conversations that she's had with Kip when they when Kip first. One. Um, showed up at the Cremaria and everything. It, it's a pretty natural path for her mm -hmm. because of her viewpoints of the way that she was raised and the way that she's been treated at the Cremaria and the fact that she's owned without actually being a slave. And like she knows where her path lies and she's not happy with it. So yeah, I, I believe that she's willing to to make her own way. I can only think. I only think of one other character that could potentially, and I mean that with a very small potential follow that same path um, of going to that other side. And that was early on when we set, when uh, Karis was captured, that potentially she could have listened to the color prince and been disenchanted because mm -hmm. of everything that had happened with Gavin and everything else and decide maybe this is right. I'm glad that that's not the case. Mm -hmm. But she's literally the only other character that I can think of that would be like, yeah. Was given the opportunity, yeah. The because the other option would be like to have Kip for a little while get you know, kicked out of the Cromeria and he goes over and come, we'll teach you everything you need to know. And it's just, <laughs> that's not, that's not how Kip works. It's not his mentality. He's not looking for acceptance in, he's not, his survival isn't based on acceptance. He can take a beating. That's, that's his thing. <laughs> right. like, he knows that. Whatever. Yeah. Oh my word. We are going over time. <laughs> so, couple more things that I wanted to bring up uh, mm -hmm. but do you guys have any other bullet points that you want to make sure we get to just a brief mention uh, because I know people will be inclined to hear a little bit about it the the blackguard initiation like that the in bringing him into the blackguard mm -hmm. and his crew his loving band of misfits that <laughs> I don't he, know if we've met those yet I, have. So, I am so nervous to say anything because I'm not sure where where you're at we're at I mean we've met Cruxer, we've met Tia and I love him he's You've such met, a fantastic character uh Ben Haydad oh yeah okay because the only reason I know is because it was in the reading that I was listening to oh, okay. today um you're going through and Ben Haydad and uh you're starting to meet this group of outcasts or in the case of Cruxer, he's like the top, the top of the top, yeah. of the top. Yeah. but people who are going to be around Kip and be his school chums, if you will. He's going to be, we're going to have our uh, Ron Weasleys and Because <laughs> he hasn't Longbottoms. finished at the Blackguard training, right? No. Okay. Okay. But I, they, they're a great group of characters. There are some fun characters I there. appreciated the scene early on 
Um, it's pretty, it's relatively common, but I think it was done just a little bit different. Uh, when he he's first at school and he has to deal with the bullies, he's like, "Oh, here we go. Here's the thing." You know, we see it in Ender's Game with Bone Solo right. and things like it's a it's a common piece. But when he goes and he takes the guy and he says, "I am being murdered," like just so you know, right now, I gave you a chance to go to stop. I am stronger than you. I'm bigger than you. I'm these other things, and I will always go further than you are willing to go. And, and then snaps, snaps his, his arm, arm. <laughs> breaks it right there, three different places. It's like. Oh yeah, that was brutal. It, it was hard to listen to, but I I appreciated uh, that segment and just kept winning the battles. Yeah, thoroughly and early. Speaking of horrific violence, we didn't even talk about flinging the women into the onto the city <laughs> walls. Yeah. Right there, there's that. I was listening to that portion in the car on my way back on a car trip, and my wife was listening as well, <laughs> and I was like, oh geez. Uh, you know, I'm kind of waiting for her to squirm in the passenger seat. Like, oh, geez, what's going on? Anyway, yeah. Some horrific violence. Moments of it, right? This, Like we said last time. the name time, of saving so many people. Oh, man. We haven't even had our... Dis- <laughs> no, I'm serious. We need to have a discussion at some point. And I have no doubt that there will be more time to do it with the color prints. We need to have a discussion about ends justifying means. Because the reflexive answer is no the ends don't justify the means well i think we need to have a talk about that <laughs> at some point uh because you know it, it'll be a riot of nuance once we get really get going with this story i'm sure mm-hmm. uh but i wanted to bring up two things really quickly there uh, these these are both in chapter 72 so right there at the bitter end when they are uh, the color prince's army is marching into i i i something whatever it's called uh, marching into the city and he is making his big speech to the army you know we're not going to take it no we're not going to take it oh, we're not going to take it anymore and yeah. d snyder comes out and headbangs and they all walk into the city over the bodies of the oh, religious leaders right over the bodies of the priests okay so and then um gives them their name the blood robes Everyone joined this time. No, they shouted. This time, everyone joined, even those far enough back that they couldn't possibly have heard the prince's question. This is the mob, Liv thought. This is the beast. But beasts can be harnessed. Bullcrap. No. <laughs> I refuse to buy into this idea. I, I do not like crowds. I instinctively distrust them. And I do not believe that you can effectively harness uh a beast like a mob they, you know there is a difference between a crowd and a mob but what the color prince is doing with this speech is he's turning a crowd into a mob and that is effectively turning a group into a beast and you cannot control that beast it can't be done um, eventually it will break free of its chains and i am personally terrified of ever being a part of a mob like that and so i have this instinctive distrust of even groups because once i get that whiff of a mob i get really really uncomfortable mm-hmm. um and so like even i go to rock concerts or i go to you know uh, comic-con panels or something and everybody's going crazy and cheering like you guys were just at d23 down at disneyland right and like that sounds like my nightmare <laughs> because to me that is uh, that is one easy quick way for me to give up real freedom is to give over my emotions and decision making to uh you know a mob and whoever happens to be leading it at the moment Hmm. so anyway 
that's all right. That was just my soapbox. Well, I, th I think it's interesting you point that out. Um, I would say I I agree that harnessing is not an accurate descriptive of what you would do with a group like that. You're you point it in a direction, right? Because and tell it to go. Because even with the color prints or any mob any mob mentality, or whatever. If you point it at a direction, your purpose is to sow chaos or destroy. Usually, right? Like trying to control a beast, like a mob, like it's um, mobs are are never. I can never think of any use of the term mob, other than you know gangsters or whatever, <laughs> that is not the destructive pitchforks and torches. Like it, its whole purpose right. is to to destroy. Um, we call mobs that are harnessed protesters. <laughs> Right, like that's like that's line, and he's not. And uh, I'm not sure if I totally agree with that, but I get what you're saying. Yeah, and he's because, not looking to create a picket line outside of ISOs. He's looking no, for people to go in. To and, me, that's a group. That 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 is a group. group. Oh, yeah, okay. a mob is out of control. Right, she's saying it's turned into a beast, and the beast can be harnessed. I'm saying, and and it's she's, I can excuse her because she's young, she's naive, she's uh, just watching what the color prince is doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. But mm -hmm. she thinks, okay, yeah, he can handle all this. And I think he's probably smart enough to know what you're talking about. All I'm going to do is point them in the right direction. Eventually, I'm going to have to let this beast off the chain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, should we wrap this up? Probably. I have no idea how long we've been it's, going. We've been going well over an hour now. Uh, I do have one last prediction, if you want to hear it. I yep. guess I'll yeah. squeeze this in there. There is something about the colors. Now, it reminds me of the Stormlight Archive, but I'm not going to bring up why because I don't want to spoil anything from those books. But it reminds me of that in that when drafters draft a certain color, they take on certain characteristics. So there's another quote from Liv in that same chapter when there is horrific violence. I think it's when the when the city leader who has joined the religious group, what, what are they called? The Luxiats? Um, she's mm -hmm. joined the Luxiates and the color prince says, shut her up. And somebody slits her throat. And he's like, well, no, I, I didn't mean, I didn't mean kill her. Just shut her up. Mm -hmm. uh, but here she is dying and she's bleeding out. And Liv, um, Liv felt a wave of nausea and quickly drafted super violet to gain control of herself. And so there's all these hints going on that, and not just hints, it's outright saying that when you draft, you change your personality, at least while you're drafting. It brings certain things out. And so in the case of Super Violet, she becomes cold and logical um, and, you know, kind of the... I wouldn't say logical. What would you say? Because blue is logic. That's oh, okay. kind of why I'm, why I'm saying that it's not logic. It is, it is emotionless. Okay. She, because uh, she even talks about how when she, the color prince commands her to draft right now and tell me what you think. Yeah, I promise you won't be punished for what, whatever you say. Right. And she said, and she goes on about like, I'm not sure if this is a seduction and yeah, or yeah. whatever things like. She's but very matter of fact, though. It's very, mm -hmm. it's it's, it's kind of like this is the way it is, and this is the way it's going to be, and accepting of what what is in front of her yeah. when she's drafting. It's it is a I would I would say that it's a void of emotion because it's not it's not even calmness. It's not even it's just a void of anything, right? And so, regardless, I I buy what you're selling that makes sense i just misread it i guess um but whatever the case may be she takes on these characteristics at least temporarily 
And it makes me wonder, first of all, it's a, uh, it's a horrible way to manipulate yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. And maybe we can have a conversation later about the ways in which we manipulate our own emotions to try to, to, to play things up or play things down for ourselves. Uh, but it's also making me wonder, and, and here we're getting into prediction territory, if there is something to these old gods and the idea that they actually, every time you draft a color, you are tapping into that god and their personality and do you see where i'm going with this Mm -hmm. like and so eventually it'll come out that oh my gosh we we can't draft anymore nobody draft because the the old gods are coming back and they'll take you over you'll be possessed if you draft too much of a certain color and all that um anyway so something along those lines i'm gonna kind of predict that the that those personality traits aren't just inherent to the colors themselves but to the gods that rule over those colors okay all right what do you think? How am I doing? Sorry, I was reading something about oh, okay. the super violet stuff that we were talking <laughs> about and what the traits are of the super violets. We so. also yeah, should probably come back on me on that one. I no, it, that's it. I mean, according to this fan page or whatever, it's super violets tend to have a removed and detached outlook on the world around them oh, that they oh, act oh. without emotion. So right, close enough. Yeah, that's good. Um, at a certain point, we'll also have to have a conversation about color theory. Maybe we talk a little bit about that and how, you know, what Brent Weeks is drawing off of. Mm-hmm. But uh, that'll have to wait because we are way, way over time. So we good? Yeah, we still yeah. have the last half of the book to talk about next time. So. Oh, man. Well, let's see if we can do that one in under an hour. <laughs> I don't have high hopes. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Don't forget to go to patreon.com slash legendarium to support the show if you enjoy what we do. Uh, give us a review on iTunes, of course. But most of all refer us to your friends anybody else who you know uh, on or offline who may enjoy what we do thank you so much for listening we'll be back with the second half of uh, the blinding knife sometime soon we'll see you then You knew I would say that? No, but you're an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> okay, you guys good? Yeah.